becomes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger stood around a crowd. It's a dream that you to make real. Passing note of the songs. Let's go to the shores. Let's do it. Okay. We're going to jump in. Let's jump right in. Yeah. Okay. So we wanted to talk today about what do you do when you are facing an unknown future? Hmm. Yeah. Because I think, I think it's something that I've been feeling in my personal life, trying to work this out for um, a couple of months, but we do seem to, as a country at least, um, be struggling with that right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've been reading, so we're gonna. I'm, I'm going to start by reading this passage. This is uh, from Viktor Frankl's *Man's Search for Meaning*. Um, he describes what he calls the existential vacuum. The existential vacuum is a widespread phenomenon of the 20th century. This is understandable. It may be due to to a twofold loss which man has had to undergo since he became a truly human being. At the beginning of human history, man lost some of the basic animal instincts in which an animal's behavior is embedded and by which it is secured. Such security, like paradise, is closed to man forever. Man has to make choices. In addition to this, however, man has suffered another loss in his more recent development inasmuch as as the traditions which buttressed his behavior are now rapidly diminishing. No instinct tells him what he has to do, and no tradition tells him what he ought to do. Sometimes he does not even know what he wishes to do. Instead, he either wishes to do what other people do, which is conformism, or he does what other people wish him to do which is totalitarianism. Hmm. What was that first part about the, uh, um, going from the animal aspect of it? Mm-hmm. Um, that man lost some of the basic animal instincts mm-hmm. in which an animal's behavior is embedded and by which it is secured. Yeah. <clears throat> it's almost as if um, there is some security in lack of consciousness. Hmm. in that you are driven by instinct alone and you are not making choices because you are not conscious of the future in which the outcomes of those choices will become reality. Yeah, that's really, that's really fascinating to me. Cause I mean, you can kind of like when I just watch and observe animals, you know, it's like they kind of look at you and they, there's this kind of knowing mm-hmm. which kind of, you seem to flash through their eyes, but you you also don't know like how much knowing that is, you know, or instinct or whatever right. it might be. It's kind of like there's just a little mysterious aspect, or is it I'm reading that into their behavior or into how the animal looks at me, you know? Right. Um, but there does, you could see like how there is that sort of crisis that comes when you become aware of other and also the future, you right. know, that starts to, I could see how that would be really jarring. And obviously that probably didn't happen <laughs> overnight, but like it was, it was probably a continual. Unveiling. Yeah. In terms of the evolution of consciousness, I think it was quite a long mm-hmm. period of time. Um, but you know, I think there's certainly a projection 
of our consciousness onto animals, but I also think that there is a recognition mm-hmm. in our animals. Like if, <clears throat> you know, with my dog, for example, he does seem to respond to my emotional state, mm-hmm. sometimes in even ways that show me my own emotional state. Um, there certainly is recognition there, mm-hmm. but I don't think that there is consciousness in the way that we have consciousness, which is that we understand the future and we can project project ourselves into the future mm-hmm. and make choices about well whether or not to live out those projections or not yeah and i think this is precisely the problem that we're facing um is that what do you do in the face of an unknown future mm-hmm. because our mode of being is to in a sense test out the future yeah in our imagination and then make choices that move us into the version of the future that we wish to bring into reality. So if the future is unknown, what are we left to do? Yeah. I think he needs to go out. Oh. <laughs> Man, lost the role there for a second. <laughs> What's going on? He's been limping for the last two days. Yeah. I don't know what's going on with him. Huh. Yeah, I noticed that on yeah, Sunday or Monday that, or whatever. Right. So, hmm. with an unknown future, how are we exactly to orient ourselves? Well, I mean, let's, let's think about it. Because I'm, I'm trying to like I'm trying to put this into some sort of context because. You know, up until this might be too simplistic, but up until COVID specifically, it seemed like we had a, well, I mean, I think it's been unraveling for a time now, like as far as like, what is going on? (laughs) Luca, come here. Well, I, I just think that especially here in the West, in the United States, Specifically, I think Western cultures in general, maybe third, uh, first world nations, countries. Um, man, I'm really, I'm really kind of grasping here. It seems that we've kind of formulated some sort of, uh, or carved out a sort of way of being, and it's kind of supported from sort of enlightenment and religious values so you know it's like or like kind of an athens in greece or you know science uh from the 18th century and again there's just i think something with nietzsche just talking about how like god is dead and and where do we how do we orient ourselves like first time immemorial we've oriented ourselves around the heavens you know whether it be the gods um the Judeo-Christian God, uh, you know, multiple gods and Hindu, you know, it's like, there's some sort of orientation that was vertical Mm -hmm. and we've sort of since about the enlightenment time have kind of moved further and further away from a vertical orientation to more of a horizontal orientation as far as, um, relating to the world around us without a, well, I mean, it kind of even has come down from like John Locke and natural law. Um, but even that is somewhat 
has been deconstructed into we don't really have um, uh, a foundation of which we're building on. Right. And I think there's a there's there's some problems I think that have come from a lot of the deconstructionist and postmodern movement that's sort of capitalized on that erosion of a foundation. Mm-hmm. I mean, even our constitution right now is sort of uh, eroding, you know, or, or seemingly so. I don't, I don't really think so, but it, it does seem like that's even call, being called into question. Well, there does seem to be some argument about it, mm-hmm. whether it, it is being made directly about the constitution or not. Mm-hmm. Um, there does seem to be an argument around the core values that set that up. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely like, there's, there's a lot of things that have kind of, it seems to be eroding, but it's, it's just, but it's just that it's eroding. It's not necessarily building anything new. Uh, and everything that it's building, there's no real foundation to it. And I think that's the hard thing is, is a lot of the, the new stuff is, it's kind of just built on a lot of like, almost like logical fallacies, you know, whether you're talking about the Kafka trap, you know, I think with, uh, white fragility, you know, it's like, if you believe this, then this, if you don't believe this, well, that means you're this, you know, and you're, you're pretty much a racist either way, you know? Yeah. And there's no way out of it. And it just seems that we're trying to find these new systems to, um, to kind of supplant, these older, maybe traditional type of views. Well, I think that's what uh, Frankel was describing when he said, you know, that there was two losses. One was the loss of loss of what I'll say is, um, well, the entrance into consciousness. Mm -hmm. And the second loss is the loss of tradition. Mm -hmm. So if instinct instinct being unconscious, maybe pre-consciousness, mm-hmm. um, tells us what we should do. Tradition tells us what we ought to do. Mm-hmm. And now we have neither. Yeah. And thus the existential vacuum. Mm-hmm. So it does seem like there is a lot of people trying to tell other people what they ought to do. Mm-hmm. And it isn't, it isn't based on tradition Yeah, because the tradition has somewhat been lost and perhaps in, in the death of God, as Nietzsche predicted. Mm-hmm. So it feels like a bit of, of, of a madness. Mm-hmm. We've got a lot of differing opinions on what we ought to do. Yeah. I feel like almost we're kind of like uh, walking into some deep waters here that I'm not sure if I'm, I can get out of once we, right. <laughs> once we get all the way in, but I'm, I'm, still, well, I'm still interested in going there. I just, <clears throat> I'm also starting to, experience my like I have so many like as we're talking like the questions in my head are just going well maybe we can reduce the scope a little bit and Mm -hmm. rather rather than apply this to um, the broader society maybe think about it in terms of an individual experience Mm -hmm. because I feel like I have myself been wondering a bit about what what is the future? What is the direction of the future for me personally? And I, mm-hmm. I'm, I am struggling to find some, some sort of North Star guiding uh, principles or ideas or mission. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and it's been a bit and, and I still haven't worked that out. And, and so what do you do in the meantime while you can't work it out? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not exactly sure, but maybe one thing that you could do is start identifying some things that you could stop doing mm-hmm. that you're doing that are muddying the water, let's say. Yeah. Making it more difficult to discern or ascertain what it is that you're after. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's... I'm trying to think of how to... Like, what would you stop doing? There's also a sense of pause, too, because I think especially in the last, you know, few months, I've had to sort of reconfigure my, my reality. You know, it's, it's as far as, you know, you project a certain future into, you know, you project something in your, your, (laughs) (laughs) you project something into the future. And when something is disorienting, like, uh, you know, I can use business for example, but this kind of goes a lot of different ways. Like, like we had this sort of place we were going, you know, as Medici and then all this happened and you have to kind of reorient yourself. And it's not, it's not always that you just, the next day you get up and you cast a new vision, you know, um, there's a lot of, you don't know, is this a week, two weeks? Is this four months, six months, three months, three years? You know, it's like, you don't, you don't know. And, and there's a certain amount of um, pause that you have to have before you can orient yourself into the future again. And it might be that there are certain things that need to die off. Like I think kind of what you're talking about is, right. you know, or even like in, uh, you know, Jesus talks about the, the pruning, you know, to be more fruitful, you mm-hmm. know, uh, a lot of garden metaphors he uses. Um, but there is that part is that, it's like we do need that pruning or that like letting certain things uh, go or certain ideas go, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think there's a healthiness to it. and I feel like I've gone through a, a few seasons. I know we both have gone through a few seasons of having to let certain things go, you know, and, right. and reorient ourselves to a, a new and different future. Maybe not like completely new and different, but it's definitely not what we thought it was going to be, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, so I think, I feel like it's, it, it feels somewhat, um, once, once I can, once I can stop and recognize it, cause if I don't recognize it, I feel like I can get lost and like, Oh no, you know, what's going on here? And I'm like, okay, whoa, okay. This is, this is one of those times where I need to kind of stop and reorient myself and allow, give, like, give me more space to, kind of consider and to weigh, you know, and to wait for the future. Yeah. I like this, the way that you're describing this as something of a waiting period. So maybe if you don't know the future that you are moving into, then you are left in a place of waiting. Mm -hmm. Um, A couple things that I've been thinking about in terms of that in, in the quarantine state that we've been in, there has been a big, it's been disorienting and there's been a lot of loss. Mm -hmm. Um, maybe not trivially, trivially, uh, I don't think I'm putting my words together properly here. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's not, not a trivial loss 
as you might expect, is that uh, the loss of schedule and structure mm-hmm. causes you to interact with your life differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've I've noticed in myself that I've let some things sort of slip here and there. For instance, I'm usually very good about cleaning up the kitchen, especially when my kids are here. Because I, I sort of know that's like a linchpin thing. If I don't get that done... Mm. And I leave it till the next day. The next day is terrible because it's like nothing else works out Um, because there's so many things to do that if I start with a big one to do, then it's just a cascade of other ones that don't get done. So, um, so like regaining some of that control, even when it doesn't seem necessary because we're not actually going to school or leaving the house or going to an office or whatever. Um, But another thing that I've done is, is like rearrange some rooms, Hmm. which has been a helpful um, psychological exercise. Yeah. <clears throat> and I'm trying, to, I'm trying to work out in real time why that is, but I think it has something to do with getting to know the things that might have been neglected mm-hmm. and understanding where you are while you're waiting. Yeah. Um, but something else that's been on my mind is the idea of, of sacrifice mm-hmm. because you talked about having lost things and there's a lot of, a lot of us who have lost a lot of things in the last several months. Yeah. Um, we've sacrificed mm-hmm. and that changes our orientation toward the future. And sometimes the sacrifice is involuntary. Mm-hmm but I think that you can also change your orientation toward the future through voluntary sacrifice. Yeah. Victor Frankl talks about that as also your attitude towards Mm. whatever that is that you might be losing or sacrificing to. Yeah. And the word sacrifice comes off, comes across to me as I'm saying it as sort of a archaic Mm -hmm. word. Yeah. I'm not talking about, killing a goat or something. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> that's awesome. Um, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, well, you know, maybe it's, 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 um, so fasting, for example, mm-hmm. Sa- fasting is a form of sacrifice. And I think that the idea of it is that you, give up something in order to see what else might be able to take its place. Mm. Yeah. It's like, yeah, there's like, what's going to fill that vacuum. Uh It's like, also what is it masking too? Because sometimes, you know, when you're, when you're paying attention to your basic desires, which, you know, eating food is, is one of those, you know, it's like, uh, it sometimes masks other things that are kind of underneath the surface and, um, which I think this is, this COVID stuff is really kind of revealing some of that. It's like when some of the basic things that give us value and meaning are somewhat reduced or taken from us, we start looking for value and meaning and, and wanting to orient ourselves to what that is. Um, and, um, I think that's why it's also confusing whenever, you know, uh, the murder of Floyd happened is a lot of people were like 
lacking that sort of motivation and meaning and that came in and, and then a lot of voices filled that void at one time. Hmm. Uh, and there's a lot of really great voices that came in. There's also a lot of confusing voices and, uh, it's like we haven't done our, our sense making machines, which, you know, media is one of those, uh, you know, our politicians, whether you like them or not, are also one of those, our leaders, whether it be business or, um, teachers or whatever it might be. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't really feel like there's a unified, you know, vision or it just seems like a lot of people are confused right now. And well, and like we said in the last episode, acting in haste to things we don't fully understand. Mm-hmm. Which makes sense. You want to feel secure. You want to feel totally. Well, so I, maybe that's why I'm thinking about sacrifices that, you know, in the, in the absence of understanding, mm-hmm. you know, maybe part of achieving understanding is making room for it. Yeah. To, to, I think about that even in terms of like, uh, of your house. I mean, anyone who's done like a, a spring cleaning or even have you move to a new space, mm-hmm. sort of like you, you purge out a lot of your stuff and you re examine as a, as a result of that, the mm-hmm. remaining things. And all of a sudden I think that everyone would probably agree the resulting psychological state is one of renewed and refreshed clarity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so maybe it, it is helpful in a period of waiting to say, what might I remove? What could I give up as, as a way to prepare myself or open myself to the things I don't know yet? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was a culture that's hard for us where you kind of, uh, we want immediacy. You know, so um, our tangible results fairly quickly. You mm-hmm. know, uh, you think about, you know, in a lot of cultures, there's vision quests. You know, they send out their youth into the, you know, the beyond or whatever. You know, you have right. the uh, Israelites who were in the desert for 40 years. Like, there's all these analogies and metaphors for these sort of like, you know, desert places or times of reflection and dying off, you know? Um, and I don't, we don't really have that in our culture. Like there's not, there's not room for allowing the vacuum to exist and maybe even to expose Hmm. ourselves in that, in that space. Like, I don't feel, I don't feel like there's a lot of room for, uh, I mean, ever since the COVID stuff hit, it's just been just 90 to nothing trying to keep everything together, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, with Floyd is managing a lot of different emotions, you know, personally, as well as, you know, you know, staff and employees and all the, you know, customers and, you know, family and all these things. And, and, you know, there's not a lot of room to just, be and allow to get your bearings, you know, uh, everybody wants decisions or certainties that, 
might not be possible at this moment, you mm-hmm. know? And I think we, we rush to these, these really broad stroke answers that are not necessarily well thought through, you know? Uh, we use words like we kind of talked about in the last podcast, like, you know, all this, always this, or all people are like this or mm-hmm. something like that. And it's like, we need a, we need that scapegoat or something like that to pin our problems on, you know, whether it be Trump or Biden or. Well, so as to know how to move forward mm-hmm. and what, what or even what we're moving against. I mean, <clears> that's, that's a, I think there's a lot of that too, which I don't necessarily think that's a good moving against something is not necessarily as moving is different from moving forward to something, but it probably has the same felt effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It seems like one would be temporary and one's more long-term, you know? Right. Well, it's sort of reactionary versus, um, I'm not sure what the other word is, but I'm just imagining like a, a, any decent company establishes a mission. Mm-hmm. They have a mission statement and yeah. that mission statement is no good if it's a reaction to something else. Hmm. Like, like a, um, we oppose X is not a mission statement. Yeah. A mission statement is we believe in mm-hmm. something which doesn't exist, like something which points to the future. Yeah. It doesn't exist because it's in the future, mm-hmm. but we're going to move toward it and we're going to cause it to exist. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. A mission statement. We're against this. It's like, okay. So yeah. <laughs> what do you want to do about that? Right, right. <laughs> what are you for? I think that's it. Yeah, there's a lot of talk right now with, with in that area of tearing down versus building up. It's like really easy to tear something down, but it's really difficult to build something because it takes years. It takes lots of people and time. Yeah. And tearing something down, someone's given the example of like, uh, someone knocking over like a little kid knocking over blocks and it's like <laughs> just destroying stuff all left and right. It's like, you can do it quickly. Oh, uh, you can do it quickly. Yeah. But building takes a plan. It takes a mission statement. It takes an understanding mm-hmm. of the future and then a, an, an aligning of motivation, energy, a plan to move toward it. Yeah, I think in that area, I would feel like I feel like more like a little bit more shaken because I have I usually have a pretty clear vision, and it's usually pretty abstract, you know. But it like makes sense to me. But I don't feel I feel like I'm missing some things. It's sort of like it needs refining and it needs more, like, just be scoped in. You know, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's like maybe being that abstract or um, broad, it was helpful for a time, but now that it's been sort of like tested or it needs to kind of be refined and brought into more conciseness, you know, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I feel like that, that, I feel like that kind of like is, that's a lot of the things that we've been talking about lately, you know, it's like whether, you know, shriek notes or Medici or, you know, all these different things that we're kind of tossing around. It's like, like we're trying to like somehow bringing in that, you know, I keep saying scope it in, but <laughs> it's a rifle metaphor. I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's like, like to kind of dial it in a little bit more fine tune or, or, 
Um, Are you talking about the vision for these things? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of broad things that you and I've talked about in those areas. Right. And, and well, I think that makes sense because the, the more, the more you can bring a vision into a singular point, mm-hmm. the easier it is to act upon. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe that, that is what it is to, to cast a vision and then to move toward it is to, with each action, which works to enable and bring into reality the vision, Mm -hmm. that is a bringing that vision into a singular point. Mm -hmm. And as you move through bringing those those actions which become the representatives of the vision itself, as you move through these through time, the vision, well, this is something else Frankel talks about, which is really incredible, is that they become, um, how does he put it, rescued into the past. Hmm. And what he means by that is that when potential, when potential, becomes reality when you activate the potential of the future meaning you 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 make a choice you make a decision you move in a certain way into the future mm-hmm. you take myriad potential and you reduce it to to one reality and that becomes the reality mm-hmm. and it becomes unalterable yeah the past is not changeable mm-hmm. so in, if you think about it that way then the vision is rescued from the myriad of potential visions articulated into the past. And now it is secure in the past and it can't be changed. Yeah. And so by acting on vision, you are clarifying it Mm -hmm. as you move toward it. I mean, for better or worse. Yeah. By acting on vision, you clarify it. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. And probably why most decent mission statements are sufficiently broad. Mm-hmm. Because they have to encompass the activity of a lot of different people over a fairly long period of time. Mm-hmm. Well, also, just, I mean, just thinking about the, the, the idea of acting on something and it clarifying, it's like at any point... You know, like when I met Allison, it's like, you know, at some point I acted on that relationship and it clarified to me, like whether she was interested or not, you Mm -hmm. know, but at some point I had to act on that vision. It's like, I saw a vision of her into my future, whether that was just dating or marriage or, you know, five kids or whatever Mm -hmm. it was, (laughs) you know, it's like, but if I didn't act on that, there would not be any clarity that would come from. Right. That it would just it would just kind of stay as a potential, and it would move that potential would move into the past, and unless at some point it'd be, I lost. On, it'd be lost, yeah, not rescued into the path into the past, but just never made real at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's another interesting thought that I just had. Well, maybe it's interesting. We'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> is that if a, if a vision or mission statement is is not sufficiently broad. Mm-hmm. It's not clear, or maybe it's easy 
to not know when to, it's easy to not know when you've accomplished it. So, um, I'm getting a little bit out of my, um, comfort zone here in terms of just sort of what I understand. But I think this point has been well enough made by some other people. Uh, but, but a lot of, um, like rights causes mm-hmm. run into this problem where it starts about one thing mm. and then that thing is achieved, but it's difficult to uh, see that that thing is achieved because mm-hmm. you still have all of this energy and momentum and you, and, and power that's wanting to push you forward. Yeah. But whatever the vision was has now been moved and actuated into the past mm-hmm. and now there's nothing left in front of you. And so what do you do? You can't really feel it or see it because you're still being guided by the energy. Yeah. And so you've got to put something else there mm-hmm. to go and achieve. Um, and that can have sort of a, I think Douglas Murray talks about it as sort of the train is finally coming up onto the station of its arrival and in, in somehow it just doesn't put the brakes on and just careens through the station. Yeah. Um, and starts just, you know, like, destroying things in its path as mm-hmm. a part, as a part of it. Um, so maybe it is important that our vision be sufficiently transcendent that we don't run the danger of accomplishing <laughs> of <achieving. it. laughs> Yeah. That's, that's what, what, what? <laughs> there's that. It's funny because I, I agree with you, which, which is really interesting. Uh, well, so put it another way, like n- not make it a rights issue. Like yeah. if you have a vision that's guiding a company mm-hmm. and it's not sufficiently broad or transcendent, yeah. then you accomplish it. Well, then what? You got a bunch of people out of a job. Well, take McDonald's, for example. Like I think was that they one million served. 10 million served <laughs> after a while. They're like, uh, yeah, do, if their mission statement was to sell a million hamburgers, yeah. well, then it's like you sell the million. Well, now what? Yeah. We did it. Yeah. And it was no longer important after about 10 million. It was sort of like, we've served a lot of hamburgers. Jerry Seinfeld has such a great bit Does about he? that. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, we all get it. <laughs> Sold a lot of goddamn hamburgers. <laughs> and he's like, can we stop counting every goddamn one? <laughs> so good. Uh, yeah, it does. I mean, it's like, I think that's why I think religion has served a purpose so powerful over the years is that it always gave us something, especially transcendent type religions where, you know, there's something above something greater. You're moving towards something. The future means something you're investing in something. And, you know, and I think, some evolutionary terms have come into this also is like your prodigy, you know, helping your prodigy prodigy move into the future, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, but if we don't have that vision of the future, which, you know, again, uh, not to do a family's values thing, but like just like family is not as important as it has been in the past. And so the idea of projecting or investing into the future, I think is harder not impossible, but harder without having that, without having kids. And, and I think kids help you envision the future better, you know, and I think other things can take that place too. I don't want to, to, I mean, that that is a great point. If, if you have children, you're necessarily, hopefully (laughs) aligning your values 
toward a future that you don't know and you never will know mm-hmm. because you'll be dead. Yeah. Like I could imagine with grandkids. I mean, talk um, about a task that you can never accomplish. Mm. It's like you were talking about the, the cathedrals of, I think you were talking about cathedrals of, you know, you'd start a cathedral that would take 300 years and you're not going to see the completion of that. Yeah. So what does it mean? Yeah. For, for like, how do you motivate, uh, somebody to come lay brick on a cathedral that they're never going to see. Mm-hmm. I mean, I imagine like maybe some, for some people it's just work, you know, but again, just I'm going to take more of a religious context of that is that, you know, the belief that you're building a house for God or of God or for the people to worship God or however, you know, you know, maybe that's, that's, that's a motivating factor that you can see into the future. Yeah. I mean, maybe it is just work, but I kind of don't buy it. I also know that plenty of incredible structures were completed with slave labor. So I'm not, (laughs) I'm not sure how to um, (laughs) reconcile that. (laughs) True. But, but there is something uncanny about these, these old cathedrals. Like I was in um, Prague a couple of years ago and I I don't remember the name of it, but there's a a big cathedral that's sort of at the center of the town on this hill. It's unbelievable yeah i mean i'm confounded on so many levels i just don't i don't understand how they one thought it up Mm -hmm. and then figured out how to do it and then made plans and coordinated people over two centuries to bring it into reality yeah i i don't it's like i can look at that now and think if we were to go build that now, it would cost an insane amount of money and take a bunch of years. And we have computers and CAD and 3D renderings and like all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And what did they have? <laughs> I don't even know. Sticks. <laughs> Sticks. You know, maybe. I don't, they didn't have power. Mm-hmm. You know, what was life like? So how is it that you can cast a vision and and pull that vision into actuate that vision into reality over that period of time Mm -hmm. without the people involved in it being deeply and transcendently involved in the task. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, I think there's maybe not in this analogy, but again, you have to have, so it's like you can do, you can accomplish that in, in a few different ways. One is through slave labor. You could force people to, to carry out your vision, which is kind of a totalitarianism type of way, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. or, you know, uh, you can cast a vision in such a way that people are inspired to build that, you know, um, uh, I'm sure there's some confusing mix of those two mm-hmm. at the same time. Yeah. Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> I hate to derail us, but every time I hear the word totalitarianism now, uh-huh. I just picture Trump saying it. Did you did you <laughs> yeah. hear his Mount Rushmore speech? Yeah, how did he say it? I can't remember. Totalitarianism. Totalitarianism. That was great. Yeah. So funny. Just derailed me. Yeah. Surprise, surprise. Trump derailed me. Yeah, I know. Well, I think that's the part too. Is like, I mean, this what we're talking about is there's not a lot of there's not a lot of vision casters out there right now, and there's not a lot of leaders. And I think Ben uh, Brett Weinstein talks about this: is there's a lot of influencers, but there's no one really. Yeah, I love the way that Eric puts that: that all of our leaders are trapped in the gig economy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I don't really understand that very much. Like. When he says that, well, the gig economy is so like Uber mm-hmm. is a part is probably most noted for capturing and um, popularizing the gig economy. Okay, which means that you know you don't really work for Uber if you're driving an oh, Uber. Oh, gotcha. It's a gig. Mm-hmm. They're not your employer. You're a contractor. Mm-hmm. But it's an economy based around that rather than employers. Um, so I, I think as far as our leaders being trapped in the gig economy, it, it, it makes sense to me because they are sort of contracted into the conversation via social media mm-hmm. and not not assuming position within institutions that have the necessary um, credentials maybe or power position to be able to effectuate that leadership. Yeah. Well, music, for example, I mean, I I think there's a lot of negative aspects to this, but we'll just take that for example. It's like there used to be only a few uh, channels that you could go through, but they had a lot of power and a lot of influence. And so they were able to, sort of be leaders in what was going to make it to, you know, mm-hmm. Casey Kasem's top 40, <laughs> you know, or something like that. There's yeah. a lot, there's a lot of, uh, influence in that way or influence, but leadership in what music was going to reach, um, the public. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not necessarily, that's a, necessarily a good thing. Um, I, I think the analogy you're making is is right. Is it okay? Yeah, I, it's yeah. Kind of because, stretching, but I thought that well, because now music has become the gig economy. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, I I make music off of my music streaming on Spotify and Apple Music. Um, pre Spotify and Apple Music, I wouldn't be making any money on my music at all, mm-hmm. unless a record label picked it up. Yeah, and then if a record label picked it up, I'd be making a ton of money off my music mm-hmm. because I would be curated into that mainstream selection of sort of pop thought leader music. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether I, whether or not I can retain that position is another conversation, but now I'm sort of in this gig economy and b- by the same token, millions and millions of other people are. Mm-hmm. So now it's much harder to get into the mainstream, um, public imagination mm-hmm. because you're competing with a lot more people, a lot more voices, a lot more voices to mm-hmm. do it. Um, so in that way you can kind of become trapped. So if you've got, you know, somebody who could potentially be a great leader 
and you know this because you follow them on Instagram and listen to their podcast and um, read their tweets, it's like, okay, how does that help us all that much? Mm-hmm. Like there's 10,000 of those. Yeah. And they're all sort of trapped there. Mm-hmm. When you think of like a, like a Joe Rogan or Ben Shapiro or like two of the biggest podcasts out there, I think um, as far as like, uh, you know, they, they kind of started at a time before this, I guess really, really Joe Rogan is a better example of this. Mm-hmm. Like he, he became a leader, but it was before the, I think the gig economy really took off in that area specifically. But I think once you start losing some of those leaders, I mean, again, like you think of the Rolling Stones or Aerosmith or, you know, it's like some of these bands that are, I don't think Aerosmith's really touring anymore. <laughs> the Rolling Stones is just keep going. I think they actually are. Are they really? Okay. Yeah. And but, somehow Rolling Stones keeps going. I don't get it. I don't know how, I don't know how they do it either. It's crazy, but they're still, they're still from that era of leaders in music, you know, and mm-hmm. icons. And there's not as many icons now. Maybe it could be argued. Like, I don't know. I'm not as familiar. <laughs> as I, <thought laughs> I was going to give you the challenge to like name me one popular musician right now. I know. I, I really couldn't. I'm <laughs> so bad in this area. Uh, oh, I can only say Kanye West because he's in the news right now. There you go. But, but that's it. <laughs> At least you got one. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Score. We're done. Yeah. See you guys. <laughs> uh, but it makes it hard. I mean, it makes so much sense. Like, what does well, that do to us? Well, I don't know because I, I you know, you say we're, we're struggling with a lack of leadership mm-hmm. and I agree. And I've heard a lot of other people say that. And I said, and I feel like that sounds right. And you say, nobody's casting a vision. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I, that feels true. But I don't know why either of these things are true. I don't know how to prove that they're true. Or is there something good in it that we're, we haven't seen yet, we don't understand? You know, having a gig economy, having a lot of voices. Sure. Yeah, I think that would require a... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, a drastic overhaul of how we conduct civilization I, I honestly don't see how it would work i don't either because it's like if you don't have a unified vision it kind of just leads to chaos yeah i mean when i think at the, at the utmost level or the topmost level of our political parties i think that's where i most clearly see the lack of leadership um you know and the left can argue with me and the right can argue with me on that but mm-hmm. i don't see unity inside either of the parties. Yeah. I mean, one of the big things I see talked about on both sides of the party is like sort of this bragging that the left is like, there's the Lincoln project. We got all these Republicans defecting over to the left because of Trump. And then you've got people on the right bragging about all of these left people who are calling up asking, where can I buy a gun? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like both parties are bragging about how the other one's defecting to them. Yeah. Um, so they're not, they're not, like even within their, themselves, they're not unified. Yeah. Um, and and really, I don't see the leaders in both of the parties, Biden and Trump, respectively, casting a vision which is capturing people. Yeah. And that's that's the problem. And yeah, rant over. I don't know. I just I don't know how to solve that. I I I just hope that somebody would step into that and cast a compelling vision. But I I'm not confident. 
that that's possible. Yeah, say more. I, I agree. I, I agree with you. I was about to say the same thing, but like, like, why do you think it's not possible? Well, I felt really discouraged with what with what happened in the the primaries in the DNC. Mm-hmm. I mean, there oh, was yeah. there was some really compelling voices there, mm-hmm. and they got systematically disinvited to the conversation. Yeah. I mean, do you remember all that stuff about Andrew Yang? Like mm-hmm. they were leaving him off posters, left his name off of debate. signs like (laughs) like it was really weird stuff Uh i mean and he was one of the most interesting voices as far as casting vision that i could tell on Mm -hmm. that side of the on uh, on uh on that in that particular conversation Mm -hmm. so there's something going on with with that there's some corruption with that like think uh, leaders are not organically arising into those positions yeah it does seem like, I mean, Tulsi Gabbard and, and Yang were probably the two most interesting ones to me in, in that yeah. area. And, and none of them got a fair, I mean, obviously it was like 30, <laughs> 30 people running, but it was, was like, a lot to start with. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, maybe Klobuchar was in there somewhere that was, I thought was interesting, but yeah, I just, I, I don't, I don't, again, I think that's our, our sense making machines. I don't understand what they're trying to do. Like, as it, I kind of feel, and again, I feel like most media is just anti-Trump, and I don't feel like that is a. That's not a. That's not a. It's not a. It's not a way to cast a vision or to report on something. You know, I mm-hmm. think whatever he says, they say the opposite, mm-hmm. and it, it, there's just so much confusion going on. I don't feel like it's hard for me to to really trust or to taking anybody seriously in this area. Well, maybe this is part of the problem is that the vision that the left is casting is get Trump out of office. Yeah. That's what it seems like. So at any cost. <laughs> well, well, and this is, this is exactly what we we're saying earlier. It's like, yeah. what's going to happen then once you accomplish that vision? Yeah. What, what you got anything else? Yeah. <laughs> we're just going to keep him out of office. <laughs> <laughs> but what is Trump? I mean, what is he saying for this next term? I mean, he's just calling sleepy Joe. How sleepy he's doing sleepy, his thing. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is I don't think he's casting a vision uh-uh. much either. I mean, yeah. the make America great again slogan has things wrong with it that just don't seem very um, exciting mm-hmm. or, or much like a vision at all. Yeah. It, it, it again is sort of short sighted in that it's like the, the addition of the word again at the end. Mm-hmm. It's like, Oh, well we already had it and then yeah. we lost it and let's get it again. So then you get it again. And then now what? Yeah, it's like we need this transcendent vision mm, that that's a good point. allows us to continue working. And I think that, and as far as I can tell, the ideals that were established in the Declaration of Independence and brought into law via the Constitution, well, we haven't reached that yet. Mm-hmm. So that seems like we could keep working towards that. Yeah, And that seems like a vision that is transcendent, transcendent enough that we could continue to improve ourselves into the future as far as we can imagine it. Mm-hmm. Here's a question for you. What, would you uh, what vision would you cast for the United States? Oh, man. Now. <laughs> 250 characters. <laughs> um, man, you're embarrassing me. Yeah. Well, I can ramble for a little bit if you want to think. 
<laughs> I'll give it a shot. I'll give it a shot. Um, Let's give it a shot, and then we can come back in a little bit, maybe uh, fine tune it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just I really do believe in the potential of the individual to realize themselves into a transcendent person mm-hmm. to be and and by doing so to improve everyone else around them mm-hmm. I mean this is the idea that man is created in the image of God mm-hmm. it is that man is is not just godlike but is capable of capable of of being that mm-hmm. in some sense that i don't i don't know how to fully defend but yeah. I, I think that that idea i truly do believe that mm-hmm. and because it is that way all men all people are equal yeah because we all have that same transcendent value there is no greater value yeah and, and it resides in each of us. So we are all equal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we talked about this a couple of episodes ago. I think what was so brilliant that the, the founding fathers did is they put government underneath that mm. and said that it is government's job to protect that. Yeah. And to sit below the individual and, and let the individual guide the, the transcendence of the individual guide, because there's no principle that government is transcendent. Mm-hmm. Government is capable of, of achieving the best good that there could be. And this is the, I suppose, the utopian idea. Yeah. And I don't believe it. Mm-hmm. I think that only the individual <coughs> is, is capable of achieving that. Yeah. And so I think the vision is that we are standing in the span of, of history as it has occurred until now. Mm-hmm. More enabled with the best tools, the best amount of knowledge, the best ability to transfer that knowledge to each and every one of us, to our children, to our children's children, um, to our friends and neighbors' children Hmm. that has ever existed on the planet. And we're in danger of squandering it. Yeah. And we need to remember that each of us carries the core value or the, or the, the highest value and the highest ideal that we can conceive of. And so let's begin operating that way and let's begin using the tools we have at our, our, um, fingertips Mm -hmm. to actuate that into a reality that could be better than we could imagine. Yeah. Or, or maybe imagine it and then rejoice as it plays out and rejoice as it becomes reality. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know if that's a vision. That was just like a weird rant. <laughs> it's good. No, I think we're, I think the, I think the idea behind this is to, is to, I mean, for me anyways, it's just to think about it and what is that, you know, what is it that we're doing and what are we casting into the future? What do, what do we want to cast into the future, you know, as a nation, you know, as individuals, you know, as business, as, you know, it's like, there's all these layers that, uh, again, kind of come back to that transcendent view, you know, it's like, like, it shouldn't be something like, Oh, and we've accomplished it. All right, everybody go home. You know, it's, it's an ideal that we strive to like, even like in the constitution where it talks about all men were created equal. I mean, that was something that we have strived to. And at some point the goal of that is to preserve that, but not to preserve it in stone in stone. It's that that idea that concept actually elevates us to greater things. So it's like, it's, it's sort of like the floor from which we all should, we should stand on as we create right. um, a more equal society as far as opportunity is concerned, you know, it's like, but then it's really the responsible, the individual to take responsibility with what they have. And each person has and starts in different places, you know, and you know, it's, I think that's, it's easy to, you know, point the finger. And it's like, I don't have that. I don't have that. But I think whenever we can just look at, see like, what tools do I have at my disposal? Mm-hmm. And some people have some, have a really shitty tool set, you know, and that fucking sucks, you know? Um, so I would like to see too, is like, I think like, I think that America, like we, we've just, I think we're doing a lot of navel gazing right now. And I think we have a huge opportunity to not only improve things here in the United States, but have a huge impact on the world around us. Uh, we have a lot of resources. We are all so capable and so much has changed here over the years. And I think there's a certain activation and mobility that we could act into the world and make it a better place, you know, and, uh, or continue to improve it. You know, I think that's, you know, uh, whether you're talking about racism or sexism or sex trafficking, or, I mean, there's some really, we have our problems here in the United States, but there's some real things happening around the world that are really horrific, you know, I mean, sex trafficking, and they should be dealt with as quickly as possible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sex trafficking is a huge thing, especially underage kids and stuff like that. I mean, that is a, that's an abomination. I mean, no, nobody should be in that position. Yeah. Um, you know, the, with the Uyghurs in China, you know, it's like, there's some crazy stuff going on there. Um, I feel like I always say that name every single wrong every single time. I, I think that was right. Good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think that's, but again, I, I come back to Martin Luther King, you know, it's like, you know, loving your neighbor, you know, that was like a huge aspect of his entire vision that he cast, you know, as one people, we are together. You know, I think that's, that's something that we're missing right now. The togetherness one people, yeah. brothers and sisters. Well, it comes back to the the unity thing. Mm-hmm. We're lacking that unity. Yeah. We do need that, that togetherness, that thing that we can all agree on. Mm-hmm. However broad or symbolic that may be, 
Yeah. And that's really challenging to think about. I mean, cause I think when I think again, Martin Luther King, like the idea of like, you know, I have a dream, a dream of where, what kind of world like his children would live in, you know? And you know, where you want to be, you're not, uh, <laughs> judged by the color of your skin, but on the care about the pieces uh, yeah. of your character, just totally tore that one up. I mean, that's a pretty cool dream because that's, that's a, that's something then that you, that launches people into the future. I, I believe, you know? Yeah. Looks like you got something there. Well, I wanted to, you know, maybe wrap us up on this quote. Um, cause it really struck me. I, I don't know if I can find it in real time. Um, well, this idea of, of, of the agency of the individual mm-hmm. and, and in, in the, in an environment of freedom, the agency of the individual actually ends up being maybe more properly described as responsibility. Mm. And Viktor Frankl was making this point and oh, saying yeah. that the other side of the coin of freedom is responsibleness. Mm. Um, and it is that way because the way that we live our lives is by actuating the potential into the past, into reality. Mm-hmm. And because we are, because we are doing that through the decisions that we make and our attitude toward the world, we are inscribing in stone the things that we do into the past. And so it is, it is because we do have agency and because we do have transcendent potential, it is our duty to be responsible with that. Mm -hmm. And so he, I loved this said, whenever I lecture in America, I always say that as there is the Statue of Liberty on the East Coast, so there should be uh, a statue statue of responsibleness mm-hmm. on the West Coast. Hmm. Let's make that happen. That sounds badass. It does sound badass. <laughs> I like that. And then I started thinking, well, what would the image of that be? Mm-hmm. You know, you've got Lady Liberty. Um, what would what would Lady Responsibleness look like? Yeah. Yeah, that's really fascinating to think about. And then should be a, there be a north and a south something. <laughs> <laughs> now we're getting into four dimensional coins. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think just I think you and I are like we're we're kind of working through some concepts and ideas. I think we're not as we're kind of struggling with right now, and and that's. Uh, Cause I think that's part that we're, we feel the we feel the void of this sort of leadership and maybe in, even in, and even in our own lives, you know, it's like, it's like, what, what do I need to be striving for? What do I need to sacrifice or let die in order to move into the future? Cause I honestly, it's like kind of some of the things you were talking about too, is this like, I feel like this is a real opportunity right now is to allow those things to die, whatever they are. Right. Because being the optimist I am, it's like, I really believe like 
the future is something that could be really beautiful. And I think we have an opportunity to really build that right now. And it's going to be, we're in this uncomfortable place and it's a hard place, but we kind of need to allow it to be there. And there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of voices that are speaking right now. And I have a hard time. Like you and I can talk nuance and kind of get around it, but it's like, it's a really hard time to be a nuanced thinker, you know, Mm -hmm. I think. Um, But I think it's important right now. It's like, I think there will be a time for some definitive action, but right now there's just too many voices and too many agendas that are, can be destructive. (laughs) And that's the part that, that, that worries me in all this right now. Yeah. Well, I definitely agree with you. I think that the future is potentially very beautiful and incredible. Mm -hmm. And we are in something of a waiting period at the moment. And so maybe the best thing that we can do is consider what we could improve. Maybe that's internally to our self or Mm -hmm. our homes or our families, our businesses or our communities. Um, to whatever scope that applies to you, what could we improve since we have the time to really take a look at what is there so that we're ready to actuate the beauty of the future Mm -hmm. when it is time. Yeah. I like that. All right. Cool. (laughs) We both breathe in. Yep. Well, thank you guys for, uh, working your way through this. This is a, I think there's a lot of things I'm gonna have to go back and listen to this and, and see what I need to work through. <laughs> I think both of you, and I kind of hit these different places and we're like, man, I need to kind of, yeah, I need I felt, to kind of think about that a little bit more. I felt a couple different like flow states in the conversation. Mm-hmm. And generally when I feel that, I feel like we're doing really well, mm-hmm. but I don't necessarily remember exactly what we said and I've got mm-hmm. to go back and listen to it. Uh, there yeah. was also definitely some like very vulnerable Mm-hmm. Uh, where I feel like we didn't know what we were doing next. So <laughs> totally. If you made it this far, thanks for listening yeah, through it with totally. us. And we'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Um, in, as of now, Instagram's the place. Go give us a follow. Mm-hmm. Um, please share our podcast page with your friends, family, social networks. Um, yeah. I, uh, we generally post the Spotify link, so you can share that one or look us up on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, and YouTube now. Back on. And YouTube. Yep, we just put one up. We will put this one up too. Maybe shoddily edited because <laughs> I'm poor, still my poor dog is feeling sick and I had to get up a couple times. Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yep. All right. We'll see you in a week. See you guys. Bye. Bye.